So Mark chapter 9, and we'll read from verse 43. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. For every one shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt hath lost its saltiness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we're thankful for this very sharp, uh, straightforward bit of Scripture, Heavenly Father. So, Lord, uh, we're so thankful for the... Uh, uh, grace that we have in Jesus Christ, Lord, that uh, uh, saves us from our sin, uh, Heavenly Father. And as we look at this passage, Lord, may we be sobered to uh, be reminded of uh, hellfire, Heavenly Father. And uh, Lord, what you have saved us from, not only our sin, but the uh, ramifications of our sin, uh, Heavenly Father. So Lord, be with me as we look at your scripture. And uh, Lord, uh, may we uh, be encouraged by this this evening. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. So here we have one of the most hard-hitting passages that you're probably ever going to get in the Bible. It's one of those passages that just stops you right in your tracks. It puts everything into perspective. You know, and I think it's good uh, you know, to remind ourselves of the realities of hell. Now, For the believer, we understand that we're not going to go there. We're not going there. And that Jesus saved us from our sins and also the punishment that comes because of our sins. But even as believers, we can get complacent and if we don't keep these realities fresh in our minds, uh, the realities of hell should at least encourage us to be more diligent to reach the lost. For the unsaved person, you need to see the realities of hell so you can see how serious God takes sin. What is Jesus saying here in this passage? That word offend, it means to uh, scandalize or to entrap or that is to, to trip up or to figuratively stumble uh, like in a, a transitively or to entice to sin. It's sort of one thing leads to another. Uh, it makes uh, to offend. Uh, Jesus is saying that if your hand is going to lead you to sin, you are better off without that hand because that hand is going to land you in the fires of hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. He's saying that you had been better off ending into life without that hand, rather than having two hands, and entering into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched. 
where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. But if it's your foot, you'd be better off limping through life without that foot. If that foot is going to land you in the fires of hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, it says here, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Or if it's your eye that offends you, pluck it out. It is better to have even just one eye as a saved man if having two eyes was going to land you in the fires of hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. See, Jesus, he often gets straight to the point and uh, to shock his audience into thinking upon the realities of how serious sin is. I think, I thank the Lord that he's made a way so that this doesn't have to be. Because I reckon there'd be no one at all on their way to heaven. We'd be chopping off our limbs, we'd be plucking out our eyes and eventually chopping off our head because we can't even think right. Even the thought of sin. See, it doesn't even work. It doesn't even work. See, no man is actually going to enter into heaven this way. He's not. Jesus didn't say these words to show us the way to heaven. This is not his point to this passage. He said these words to show us how serious sin is and hellfire. Because if men do not see the seriousness of hellfire, then they're not going to see the seriousness of sin. If men don't see the seriousness of both of these things, then they won't see the seriousness of needing a saviour. So we live in a day uh, in Christianity where it's almost seen as a sin to preach on sin. It's seen as a sin to preach on sin and the seriousness of it. It's just in case it might offend somebody. But let's just say this, you're better off being offended by these types of sayings if it's going to lead you to the truth and reality rather than having an offended ear that's going to lead you to hellfire. I was encouraged once by a sermon by Brother Charlie where he touched on the seriousness of sin. And I was at uh, James and Emily's wedding about two and a half years ago and he spoke of a, an illustration. Uh, he just touched on it. Illustration of hellfire and speaking about the example of a, of a lighter. You know, he spoke, uh, you know, about this example where you've got scoffers on the street, you know, when you're out witnessing and, uh, you know, where they're brazenly saying they just, they want to go to hell and they boast in it. And, uh, you know, they, they say, I'm going to party in hell. And uh, so the illustration goes, well, you know, well, if you've got a lighter on you, just try it a little. You know, but that, that should be enough to stop a person right in their tracks, you know, and get a person thinking about the realities of what they're saying. You know, just like Jesus, you don't actually want people to pluck out their eye or cut off their hand, but you want to see the point. And the point of this illustration is the seriousness of sin and where it's going to land them. If men don't see this seriousness and understand hellfire, they're not going to see the seriousness of needing a saviour. See, people need to hear the seriousness of sin so that they can then appreciate the remedy. And that remedy being the gospel of good news of Jesus Christ to save us from our sin. But I, I had another person, and uh, a professing Christian, and I was actually an extended family member. You know, I, lo I love that family member, I really do. You know, but they got offended at that preaching. And they approached me about it later on and, and said, look, you know, it's, it's not appropriate to talk about hellfire. And I said, but Jesus talked about hellfire. And I had Mark chapter 9 
in my mind. And I said, look, using, using the illustration of heat from a lighter, it's much, much less confronting than telling people to pluck out your eye, you know, or to, you know, cut off your hand. And, uh, you know, I got the reply, but it's not appropriate. There's, there was kids there, you know. There was kids there, and they were present there, and, you know, it might have scared them. But it's amazing how some people, they can focus on a little illustration in the middle of a sermon where it's talking about, it's just a little part of the sermon, you know. You've got to use these illustrations sometimes to wake people up. And they ignore the rest of what is preached. But I want you to see something here. So go back to our passage. And uh, I want you to look at the, the verse just before Jesus said these words. So look at Mark chapter 9, verse 42. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. So we have, we've got a dilemma here. But it's not really a dilemma, and it's only a, a dilemma if you think about the serious, if you think about talking about the seriousness of sin and hell is only appropriate around adults. So what, what's going to offend one of these little ones? Talking about the reality of hell in front of them? Or hiding the, real, the reality of hell from them? Do we want our kids aware of hell before their hand offends them? Or after their hand offends them? We want our kids aware of hell before their eye offends them or after their eye offends them. Because like today we do, we live in a generation of Christianity where the reality of hell for the most part is not even preached to adults, let alone the kids. You know, just in, just in case it offends somebody. But look, turn to Matthew chapter 18 and we'll have a look at the parallel passage and it gives us a little bit more. And we'll look at verse 1. So Matthew chapter 18. Verse 1 says, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offences, for it must needs be that offences come, but woe to that man by whom the offence cometh. So here we see in this passage, We've got Jesus' disciples, they're, they're debating, you know, over who is the greatest, or who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now this is, this is the type of thing that's going to happen when you start to lose focus on the things that really matter. So Jesus had to say to his disciples elsewhere, he said, notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are, uh, are written in heaven. But here in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus uh, calls a little child unto him. And he puts the little child in the midst of himself and, and the disciples. And he says, you must be converted and become as a little children to enter the kingdom of heaven. So why? Well, we see it there in verse 4. Little children, they're reliant on their parents 
for every need and takes humility to be that dependent. A proud person, he wants to be the greatest. He wants to be the parent. Whereas a little child, he's happily dependent. But I want you to see something in this passage. Look at what Jesus went on to say while having this little child in the midst of them. Look at verse 8. <coughs> Wherefore, if thy, if thy hand offend thee, or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into hell, everlasting fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. How think ye if a man have a hundred sheep, <coughs> and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So you don't see the disciples here saying, look, come on, Jesus. You know, we've got a little one here, you know. Just tone it down a little bit. You know, no, we don't have to tone it down for anybody. This is the reality. Now, Jesus and the words of this book, they're our examples to follow. You know, of course, we don't have to, you know, handpick those parts out and leave out the other either. You know, Jesus always gives a solution to the problem. We can see it even in this passage. Look at verse 11 there. It says, For the Son of Man is come to, to save that which was lost. So even stating in the next two verses that just like the shepherd who has a hundred sheep, uh, he leaves the ninety and nine to go after that one lost sheep. So Jesus goes after that one lost person. Uh, you know, we know uh, in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. So what, with the preaching of hell, should always come the solution. Always. So the preaching of the love of God in Jesus Christ to save people from their sin on the cross of Calvary should always be preached along with that. You know? So turn over to Mark chapter 10. And uh, Jesus, he doesn't hold back when it comes to the seriousness of sin, but he... He always gives a solution, and we're going to look at that. So look at uh, Mark chapter 10, and we'll look at verse 17. It says, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeling to him, and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honour thy father and mother. See, there's another way to enter heaven, keep all the commandments perfectly, but can anyone say that they've done that? Can anyone say that anyone can do that? No. 
It's, it's just like saying to stay out of hell, you have to pluck out your eyes and cut off everything. You wouldn't even be able to exist. It's impossible. The point here is there is only one way to be saved from sin and hell. And there's nothing good enough in us to merit it, but only through the life-changing message of faith in Jesus Christ. Look at that in verse 20. And he said, and he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things, uh, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and he went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. See, you're never going to get a camel to go through the eye of a needle. You're, not, you're just not going to do that. But notice the apostles uh, here. Now, they don't start thinking uh, about all the rich people uh, that they know and start feeling sorry for them. Now, look what they say in verse 26. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, well, who, who, who then can be saved? Who can be saved? You know, they probably knew this uh, rich young man. They probably knew his manner of life. Uh, he probably surpassed all the disciples in other areas in the obs ob observes, observations of the law. But his riches, his possessions, that's something he wasn't prepared to let go. But here is the solution. Look at verse 26 again. Uh, but Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. See, no man is going to escape hell by his own works. We just read it there. Jesus said it's impossible. It doesn't matter if you think you've kept all the commandments from your youth. You could still even be poor thinking you've kept all the commandments from your youth. But even that little sin of pride right there is going to send you to hell. So it doesn't matter if you pluck out your offending eye or cut off your offending hand. Eventually there will be nothing left of you. Your eye and your hand only does what your soul tells it to do. So our problem, it comes from within. We have a sin problem that only God can do away with. Our problem penetrates all the way into our very soul. Ezekiel 18.20 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But in your heart and in your mind, spiritually speaking, you need to be prepared to cut it off. Whatever it is that's preventing you from coming to Christ, you need to be prepared to cut that off. For this young man, it was his riches. It was his riches. Hell, it's not worth it. It's not hanging on to it. 
Whatever it may be, it's not worth it. A few weeks ago, I was, I was down at Terrigal. I was handing out some gospel tracts in the evening and uh, a couple of young Jehovah's Witness guys come up to me while I was, uh, they were just eating an ice cream. And uh, I didn't know that they were Jehovah's Witnesses at the time and because uh, I was kind of speaking my language uh, at first. And it took a few minutes and a, a couple of pointed questions you know, before I realised. But uh, you know, as I was listening to them and they were trying to kind of you know, buddy up to me and uh, like we we're kind of one and the same in our beliefs, you know, I was just started thinking you know, about all the, all the differences. You know, the, the, the major one being another Jesus. You know, they're Jesus only being a, a little God. You know, he's not God the Son manifest in the flesh. <coughs> but we went back and forth about this and I showed them some verses uh, that have been twisted and corrupted in their Bibles. And, but then I thought about uh, their doctrine of not believing in hell. You know, I could tell these guys uh, they were going to take up my time for the next hour. I could just tell it was going to be one of those ones and you know, possibly you know, divert me from reaching that one lost sheep. And uh, you know, I, I politely said to them, I said, look, I said, you guys don't believe in hell, right? And they both agreed, yep, they don't. And then uh, I took them to Mark chapter 9. I read it out to them. And I, looked at, I said, look, now go home and study the things out that I've told you. I said, but you guys are stopping me from reaching that one lost sheep. And uh, you know, I said to them, the reason that you guys are happy to stay here and debate with me and take up my time, I said, you know, because you don't believe in hell. I said, you're happy to sit there or stand there eating your ice cream, watching all these lost souls walk by, because you don't believe in hell. I said, you believe they just go back to the dust? And I just said to them again, as I politely said, I said, look, I said, and unless you repent, I said, you will likewise perish. And that was good, they didn't waste any more of my time, but my heart was for them, it wasn't against them. I'm just hoping that they took seriously the admonition that I, I told them, you know, I actually prayed for them after that they'd go home and realise the seriousness of uh, hell, the seriousness of sin, the realities of, of hell, uh, that they might see a big Jesus and not a little Jesus. You know, but there's, there's some people like the uh, Seventh-day Adventists, you know, that they just think hell, you know, it's just annihilation, you know, kind of like being physically thrown in the, in the top of a volcano. You know, you kind of, you know, you know, a little fizzle of pain and, you know, for a few seconds and then nothing. You know, but look again at our main passage in Mark chapter 9. Look at verse, look at three verses there. Look at verse 44, 46 and 48. Three times we read, it says, Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. So it doesn't say, like the Jehovah's Witness Bible, where the maggot does not die and the fire is not put out. That's what their one says. Or like the NIV, which says, where the worms that eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. It says their worm, not the worm. Now there's, there's speculation and different thoughts to what Jesus meant by their worm. But one thing we, got, we do know from this passage is that it's eternal. 
and whether it means being eaten by worms for eternity while also being in hell, no one can be sure, but one thing is very sure, it's personal. It's personal. And it's their worm that dieth not. It's eternal. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. So in this passage, uh, Jesus he speaks about uh, judgment, uh, where he will judge all the nations and he's dividing the, the sheep from the goats. And uh, Jesus says in verse 33 that he's going to set the, the sheep on his right hand and he's going to put set the, the goats on the left. But uh, look at verse 41 of uh, Matthew chapter 25. Then he then shall he say also unto them on the left, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So see that? The fire never goes out. It's everlasting. But look at verse 46. It says there, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So not only is the fire everlasting, we see there that the punishment never ends. That's everlasting too. But one thing we see from that passage is that God didn't prepare everlasting fire and punishment for the people that go there. He prepared it for the devil and his angels. See, God's desire for all, for all men from the beginning is that they would seek after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us, it says in Acts chapter 17. People go there because they want to follow the devil. I'll tell you what, if you're going to follow the devil, you're going to end up in hell. That's how you get there. But it's not going to be a party for all those that go there. Turn back to this one chapter and look at the last verse, Matthew 24, the last couple of verses there. Matthew 24, and uh, look at verse 50. And this is uh, speaking of the evil servant in contrast with the faithful servant. It says there, the Lord of that servant, that's the evil servant, shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth, weeping. That's not going to be a party in hell. There's no party in hell. You know, someone at this stage might say, oh, well, you know, I'm not an evil servant, you know. I, I just don't believe in Jesus. But you cannot serve two masters. There's no middle ground. You're either a servant of righteousness or you're a servant of sin. There's no fence. Romans 6, 16 to 18, the Bible says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey. See that? Whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the service of right, servants of righteousness. You're either a servant of sin or you're a servant of righteousness. There's no fence, there's no middle ground. See, a lot of people, they want to they 
find a middle ground. But according to the Bible, there's no middle ground. It just doesn't exist. You're either a servant of the devil or you're a servant of God, according to the Bible. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So the, the devil, he's known as the, the prince of the power of the air. In Job uh, 1, 7, uh, when Satan presented himself uh, before God, we read, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence cometh thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, uh, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. He's the prince of the power of the air. But there's no middle ground. Ephesians 2 verse 3 says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So middle ground, or on the fence, it's an illusion of the devil. There's no such thing. You're either a child of wrath, or you're a child of mercy. And it depends on what you want to do with Jesus. It depends on what you do with Jesus. Because verse 4 in Ephesians chapter 2 says, But God who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. So what was the love wherewith he loved us? What was that love? Well, it was Christ enduring the cross for lost sinners. That was the love. Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 1, 1.2 says, And he's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I thank the Lord that he made a way for lost sinners to be made righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. I thank the Lord for that. But turn to Matthew chapter 23. See, if you're a servant of sin, then you are a child of the devil. If you're a child of the devil, then you're a child of hell. It's that simple. So Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said to the scribes and the Pharisees in verse 13, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. But look what he says to them in verse, verses 31 and 33. He says, Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? These are hard words. Hard words. But it's the, it's the truth. Sin is serious. Hell is serious. Jesus, he warns us a lot about sin and he warns us a lot about hell. Sometimes, you know, especially now that I'm getting older, I go to work and uh, now it might be a big day uh, concreting and I forget to drink enough water. 
I just, you know, it comes to about 11 o'clock and I, I start realising, I start feeling a dry mouth and um, I'm not realising that I'm getting dehydrated and, and I get home and I can feel it coming on and because uh, I suffer these severe cramps and uh, they just, they knot up all my muscles in my legs and I'll be, I'll be laying in bed next to my wife at night and uh, they just come on suddenly. It's just, oh, it's just all of a sudden my legs just contract and all my muscles are just like that and I'm gritting my teeth in pain and I'm, and I'm, and, uh, I'm wailing, you know, and I'm close to weeping and uh, I can't help it. I just can't help it because of the pain. It's just excruciating and uh, you know it's, it, they only last a couple of minutes and uh, you know until Samantha she's kind of got to race around and get my legs and put them up and stretch them out and you know then it goes away but I just think about that imagine going through that but it never ends it never ends there's never a break not even a break there's no time out it just goes on forever and ever and ever. But that's still, that's nothing like hell. That's nothing like the reality of hell. See, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. In Matthew 13, 40, 49 to 50, Jesus said, So shall it be at the end of the world, the angel shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. But, uh, turn to Luke chapter 16. I was talking to somebody the other day and uh, they asked me this question. They said, do you reckon in heaven uh, people will be able to remember the, the past things of this life? And I said, I'm not real sure. And I said, but I, I, I said, I, I guess if people are asked to able to remember them in hell, then maybe they can remember them in heaven also. Because uh, look at verse 19, so Luke chapter 16, verse 19. So some say that this is just a story uh, that Jesus told, you know, like a parable, like one of his parables, and you know, it can't be taken literally. But I believe this is a real account that Jesus told. And I do it. If you just do a word study on that word certain, that word certain in the Bible, and you have no reason to deny that it's describing a real event that happened. Now, even Lazarus here, he's personally named here. You don't get that in the, in the parables. But uh, verse 19 says, There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fed sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. But look at this. And in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torments and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. See that? People in hell are still going to have their eyes 
Maybe he was wishing that he plucked them out at this stage. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And St. Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. See that? You can, you can be a son of Abraham according to the flesh and still end up in hell if you go about to establish your own righteousness. It doesn't matter about your background. That doesn't count in the end. It doesn't matter what kind of upbringing you've had. That doesn't matter in the end. You could have been a, a Jew from birth like Nicodemus, a teacher of the law. It doesn't matter. You must be born again. You must be born again. You can't go about to establish your own righteousness. Lazarus mightn't have had much and he suffered much in this life on this earth, but he was a true believer. He was a true believer. Look at verse 26. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he might testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham. But if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. Just a little note here, we have Abraham here in heaven remembering the things of this life too. You know, remembering Moses and the prophets, even though he went home to be in glory before Moses was even born. But there were two things this man in hell could wish for. Two things. That he could just have a drop of water to cool his tongue. Imagine dying of thirst for all eternity while being tormented in a flame. Can you imagine that? The other one was that Lazarus could be sent back from the dead to testify to his brothers. To his, he had five brethren, lest they also come to be in hell. But it's sad to say that not even a man raised from the dead will even persuade some people. Now the Pharisees, they saw another Lazarus raised from the dead. That was Jesus' friend Lazarus. He was raised from the dead in John chapter 11 and all they wanted to do was get rid of him. They wanted to get rid of Lazarus. They wanted to get rid of Jesus who raised him from the dead and they wanted to get, Lazarus, get rid of Lazarus who was raised from the dead. It didn't convince them. You know, for, for most people, they know exactly what they're doing. You know, they just don't care. I don't care. It's not that they don't believe in the exist, existence of God, but they brazenly spit in his face. Whether actively or passively, to reject Jesus Christ is to spit in his face. He could be actively spitting in his face or, or just rejecting him. 
but you're still spitting in his face. Turn to Revelation chapter 16. We see uh, in the time of the coming uh, great tribulation in the book of Revelation uh, where men, they just receive a little taste of, of hell to come. You know, and, and men, these men, they, they know their wicked deeds and even know that the judgments coming from, uh, upon them are from the Lord and yet they still refuse to repent and continue to blaspheme the name of God. Look at verse uh, 7. Uh, look at verse 8. Uh, and the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun and, the power, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat. Look at this. And blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. Look at this. And they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven, because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. Gnawing their tongues for pain. I've never experienced that much pain. I've never experienced pain where I've had to gnaw my tongue. I've, I've, I've clenched my teeth, uh, but I've never had to gnaw my tongue. But that's just a little taste. That's a little taste of what hell is like. Look at verse 11. And it says in there, and they blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. So even though they were gnawing their tongues in pain with sores all over them, they still refused to repent of their deeds. They blaspheme the God of heaven. That's how much they hate God and they love their sin. They love their evil deeds. You now someone might say, oh, but you know, I don't hate, I don't hate God, I just don't believe in him. You know, they might say they love their sin, but they just, they don't hate God. You know, thinking that somehow that's going to exonerate them from going to hell. But sinning against God is to hate God. Sinning against God is to hate God, even if you say that you don't hate him. Sinning against God is to say that you hate him. Proverbs 8, 35 to 36 says, For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favour of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. All they that hate me love death. But one of the most sobering passages is seen in Revelation chapter 20, if you'd like to turn there. And uh, here we see the final judgment. But... Um, just first, just turn back one chapter. We'll look at chapter 19. And uh, we see here where the coming of the Antichrist and his false prophet end up at the coming of our Saviour Jesus Christ. Look at uh, chapter 19 and uh, look at verse 20. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. 
See that? It says, which deceived them that had received the mark of the beast. Now, yesterday evening, when we were down at Hamilton, <coughs> I had this person, and I was just giving, a, giving them a gospel tract, just trying to tell them about the love of God to save them from their sin. And, and I had this person say, say that, uh, you know, yeah, you're just brainwashed, you know, for trying to tell them the gospel. But who's the brainwashed here? Who's the deceived one here? You know, we've got a, a brainwashing going on right now where people are getting deceived. And when this Antichrist comes, they're going to be deceived from him because of the brainwashing that's going on. But go to chapter 20, look at verse 10, Revelation chapter 20. So notice the eternality of this torment in hell. Now here we've got the, the final judgment. There's a thousand year interval from the time the Antichrist and his false prophet were thrown into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. It's a thousand years now. And it says there in verse 10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. But notice this now, where the beast and the false prophet are. So a thousand years has gone past and they're still there. They're still there. So, so much for the annihilation theory. And shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. But look at this now. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the book, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. Look at this, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's that lake of fire with a false prophet and the Antichrist. Hell is a real place. It's a real place. But there's always good news. Heaven is also a real place. Look at chapter 21. Look at verse 1. <coughs> and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Do you believe that? And he said unto me, 
it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I'll give unto him that is the first of the fountain of the water of life, life freely. I praise God for that free gift, that free gift of salvation. Verse 7, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I'll be his God, and he shall be my son. So he that overcometh, well, who, who's that? Who, who, how do you overcome? 1 John 5, 4-5 says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Verse 5 says, he, Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Look at verse 8 in this passage here. But the fearful, but look at this one, and unbelieving. See, you just can't unbelieve all these things and they go away. You just can't do that. Just because you unbelieve doesn't make them less true. And the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in a lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. See, what prevented me from coming to Christ for many years was the, the things in my life that I wasn't prepared to cut off for Christ. The things in my life I wasn't prepared to cut off to follow Christ. It was only that moment when conviction that came to me in the, the, the reality of my destiny and the reality of God's love to save sinners. When that hit me, I knew in my heart that I was a lost man. And I knew that there were things that I had to cut off. I had to cut off. You have to be prepared in your heart. God will start the pruning. You're not going to have to reach into your eye socket and pluck out your eye. But you've got to be willing to do that in your heart. If you're not willing to do that, you can't come to Christ any other way. You can't come to Christ any other way. You can't put your hand to the plough and look back. You're not fit for the kingdom of God. You can't. John 8, 36, Jesus said, If the Son therefore shall make you free... Ye shall be free indeed. Mm. See, to, to downplay the reality of hell is to downplay the reality of the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm. If you downplay hell, you have downplayed the remedy. Mm. To downplay the seriousness of hell is to downplay the seriousness of sin. Right. You don't think hell's serious. You don't realize how serious sin is. May God help us to keep into perspective these realities, these truths, because we need to keep our eyes fixed on that straight and narrow road, that path, because hell is serious, very serious. But I thank God for the gospel. I thank God for the gospel. Look at this. Just look at John. 
chapter 3. You know this verse very well. But I love the verses that come after it too. John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, verse 16. For whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But look at this. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. See that? There's no fence. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil, he hateth the light. Oh, but I love God. Well, if you're doing evil, you hateth the light. They neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that are wrought in God. When you think about this passage, Jesus started off telling Nicodemus that you must be born again. Then he tells him that being born again is by believing in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say that you've got to stand under that light. There's no good looking at the light and saying, there it is, there's the light. Unless you stand up under that light and say, here I am, Lord, a sinner. I need saving. I need to be born again. You can't come to God any other way. A lot of people want to focus on John 3.16. It's a beautiful verse. But look what it says. The whole passage, we need to take that. You must be born again. You've got to believe. But you've got to come to the light. You've got to stand under the light. That your deeds may be made manifest. That they are wrought in God. You can't come any other way. That's how, you, that's how you be born again. When I got saved, it was a hard thing to do. It was a hard thing to do. Because you can say all you like to, to the Lord. You can say, oh, I believe you, God. I believe you sent your son. You can be hiding your sin behind your back. You can be looking straight over your back going, no, you're a fake and you're a fraud. The only way that you can come is with your whole heart. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need help. I believe you sent your son to die for me. I believe in the cross. Only then can a man be saved. You can't come to God any other way. He'll start pruning your life. He'll start doing the pruning. I tried pruning it all off. Then coming to God doesn't work. Doesn't work. But in your heart, you've got to be prepared to cut it off. That day, I said to the Lord, Lord, I'm cutting it off, but I need your help. And he saved me. Let's pray.